somebody willing to get up before dawn, milk cows, work all day in the fields, milk cows again, eat supper, then go to town and stay past midnight at a meeting of the school board. So God made a farmer. My administration will be focused on three very important words. Jobs, jobs, jobs. This must be a minister, a social worker, a diplomat, a tough guy, and a gentleman. And of course, he'll have to be a genius because he'll have to feed a family on a policeman's salary. From this day forward, it's going to be only America first. America first. We, the citizens of America, are now joined in a great national effort to rebuild our country and restore its promise for all of our people. Because today, we are not merely transferring power from one administration to another, or from one party to another. But we are transferring power from Washington, D.C., and giving it back to you, the people. Hold on to your seats. Buckle up for safety. You are now entering another dimension with The Scott Adams Show. And that's right. My name is Scott Adams. You're listening to The Scott Adams Show. And I want to thank everybody for tuning in today. There's a, you know, a lot of things that we're, you know, we're going to carry over from yesterday and also talk about today. But, uh, you know, um, there seems to be a lot of hypocrisy in Washington. That's an understatement. I say it with a chuckle. Um, but, uh, you know, the uh, latest uh, wrinkle is that Biden basically doesn't know what he's doing when it comes to supply chains and he he doesn't uh and he he's not accountable for anything he's blaming everything but the kitchen sink now it's going to be omicron for uh this new variant uh that's basically going to be uh the scapegoat for all of the <laughs> wrongdoings you know I've never seen a uh, a virus be the scapegoat for so many things, whether it's election, uh, a wrinkle for election fraud or, um, you know, just a whole assortment of things to control people. And, you know, what I like seeing right now is I'm seeing a lot of people talking about uh, what this is all about, and they're articulating it very well. And I think that the message is getting out there to the point where you're starting to see even more and more Democrats fleeing the Democrat Party uh, because it's just, you know, there are some Democrats that are in Congress. They may have been, you know, wrong thinking with their policies and their their guidelines and whatever it is that they were believing, this pie-in-the-sky euphoria or utopia. But there's yet another House Democrat that announced plans to leave Congress in the latest blow for party majority chances in 2022. So it says here, another House Democrat on Monday announced plans to retire from Congress. The Democrats know they're in trouble going into 2022 midterms, so many are fleeing and sinking uh, the ship. You know, basically, New York uh, Representative Tom Susie on Monday announced he will be leaving his third district seat uh, 
to run for governor in 2022. So he is the 18th House Democrat planning to retire. People don't want to run for those seats. That doesn't mean that those seats are going to be pickups or sure shot pickups, but it, it does mean that the Democrat Party is, is uh, I think, splintered for sure. There's no doubt about that. Uh, divided, maybe. You know, there's a lot of infighting. There's a lot of power grabbing. You know, like I was saying, you know, politics is a very strange thing in Washington. It makes for strange bedfellows. And you take the squad, for example, and you take Nancy Pelosi. And Nancy Pelosi at one point had a lot of leverage over the squad and can basically treat them like children. But these little monsters that represent the squad, Ilhan Omar, Rashid Tlaib, um, and uh, AOC, and uh, just a whole assortment of um, you know ridiculous thinkers that are basically dominating that small little contingent. And by small, I mean like six or seven individuals. Well, the Democrats don't have that big, big of a yield. They don't have that big of a, a lead. And so, therefore, these six or seven voters in the House of Representatives representing the squad can really wield a big fist now. And it's all relative, isn't it? Six or seven con- con- Congresswomen, I think they're mostly women, all women. Um, But these radical lefties representing the squad, representing uh, the radical left, actually have a lot of muscle now with regard to the Biden administration. And and in addition, um, not just that, but the uh, Nancy Pelosi agenda. So a lot of these things, like, for example, this new, you know, spending bill, that the CBO said it's going to cost a fortune over and above what it is that Jen Psaki, for example, said that, that it would cost, which is zero, they said. So somehow spending more money costs zero dollars. Never mind what it's going to do to inflation and so many other things. Of course, they already have a scapegoat for that. Like I said, it's going to be Omicron now. And not only that, but they're pushing the using the Omicron double duty. It's not just going to be blamed for um, inflation or oil prices uh, and so on and so forth. But uh, never mind the the poor decision-making and policies that have been instrumented or pushed out by the Democrats. Uh, Like, for example, closing down Keystone Pipeline. You know, now uh, it's been reported that 50 million barrels of oil from the emergency reserve are going to be utilized to try to uh, control gas prices. All the while, this is going to increase inflation because anytime you inject money into or free stuff, whether it's free oil or printing cash, you're going to raise inflation. This comes despite the reserve, Jerome Powell and company, uh, basically lowering the prime rates. But... You know, these are the things that weren't the luxuries that weren't afforded to President Trump. And in the end of the day, it's just going to result in inflation, which is going to cost us all dearly. 
But this little contingency of the squad is is really going to um, is wielding an iron fist right now. They're going to be pushing these agendas. This new spending bill that I was talking about is going to result in 6.5 million people, immigrants, illegally here. They were brought here before a certain date, like April or something like that. If you were here before a certain date, you're going to get amnesty. 6.5 million. That's the large, and it's not even getting talked about. Just like Brooks in uh, Waukesha is, is not getting talked about in the press. Never mind the fact that he was a racist terrorist. The media doesn't want to talk about it. It doesn't fit the narrative. Biden doesn't want to go out there to Waukesha, uh, Waukesha and, and uh, do anything about it because it's a Republican stronghold area of Wisconsin. But he was out there, you know, lickety split with Kenosha. He was out there calling a Rittenhouse a, a white supremacist. There's new video footage floating around of, you know, uh, a lot of that going on in terms of some of the some of the villains that were in that Kenosha, the guy, the kid that got shot, uh, but lived to tell about it. Uh, you know, he had the Glock and was pointing. It, it's so <clears throat> interesting when you see these, this footage that we all kind of missed during that trial is now making its way out there. And it's like, sure enough, he was defending himself. You compare that to this Kenosha, you, uh, this uh, Waukesha, um, Wisconsin murderer, terrorist, racist. And there's no comparison, but the media doesn't want to talk about that. 6.5 million illegals are going to be given amnesty as a result of this new uh, spending bill. And, you know, it's got to pass through the Senate. And again, it would have been nice if we would have had some control of the Senate. And that's where, you know, someone like a... uh, a, uh, Joe Manchin would have come in handy because if he would have switched parties, we would have then had the ability to block those types of votes from being sent to the floor. But I don't think they're going to get the votes as it stands. I don't think that there are going to be enough Republicans that are going to, I mean, I don't think they're going to have enough votes to support 6.5 million amnesty. This is a dream that was pushed through by Obama back in the day where Obama wanted over 5 million, it probably would have been about 15 million amnesty. And it was blocked by Justice Hannon, the Supreme Court justice in Texas. And it was upheld, that block, by the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals. And then, of course, it was Justice Scalia that was basically overseeing whether or not to hear a case from the Fifth Circuit. And he was going not going to hear it. <clears throat> so, naturally, I think, and this is my belief, uh, that that Scalia was murdered. There was no witness. There was no autopsy. There was no witness to his murder. And they wanted this so bad, and they wanted to get Merrick Garland in there. And we all see what a radical lunatic Merrick Gardner is. Merrick Garland. What a radical left-wing nut job. He can't even say that Breaking the law by entering our country illegally is an illegal act. He can't even bring himself to say that. And that's how radical this left wing has become. That's how radical the cabinet that's being assembled in the Biden administration is. These are all Marxist 
And these were people, Biden was on all kinds of different sides of the fence going back 40, 50 years. He was all over every issue. And it just goes to show you the way politics was done 40 years ago. We just didn't know it. And again, we owe a debt of gratitude to someone like Donald Trump for really spelling it out and showing us the light. You know, and I think that a lot of the patriots out there, citizen journalists, even QAnon, which, by the way, if you were paying attention, General Flynn has now denounced QAnon, said it's a left-wing Democrat thing. You know, regardless of how you feel about QAnon, there was a lot of researchers, a lot of people doing their thing. And now you got all these people that were part of that whole movement, the patriot movement, you know, infighting. It's not helping the conservative agenda. It's not pushing the ball forward. It's dividing our party. And in Washington, where, you know, you have a lot of um, things happening, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's being treated like a joke. General Flynn, Sidney Powell, Lynn Wood, even Mike Lindell are being treated like a joke. I got chewed out by an emailer, uh, someone who emailed me about my comments. Well, Mike Lindell is probably the least offender, uh, if you consider it re- relatively speaking, uh, with regard to, say, Patrick Byrne or Lynn Wood or Sidney Powell or General Flynn. I think that those are all people that have been disingenuous uh, and trying to sell books and sell ads and sell pillows and sell whatever. I would I would actually respond to that person who wrote me and say, maybe perhaps Mike Lindell was the least offensive. But still, I ask the question, what have they all achieved? What have they all gotten done? What have they accomplished in the name of either overturning the election? You know, they made a lot of promises. They They said a lot of things that never, ever panned out or became true or were proven. You know, who's this Kraken? Well, we know who the Kraken is. It's a crack. I know the person personally has a track record, a criminal record a mile long and registered as a Democrat. And what I'm saying is we need to be careful with regard to this uh, infiltration that's going on and embarrassing what it is to be a true Trump supporter. And what it is to support America first policies that are going to basically get the job done. Now, this is great news that the Democrats are disciplinary and, you know, this new wrinkle is that this guy is leaving the Democrat Party and that's great. But who knows who's going to replace him? It's probably not going to be a Republican in New York seat where this guy won. But nevertheless, it's going to weaken their party. And I'd say, you know, people want to know what's the magic sauce for taking back our republic. And everybody wants to talk about, you know, all these different ideas. But it's at the end of the day, as you know, we've learned when we were growing up, there's no shortcuts in life. You got to do it the old fashioned way. You got to earn it. You got to just play by the rules and work hard pull up your bootstraps, and get the job done. And a lot of this stuff is not sexy. It's it's boring. It's policy. You know? But nevertheless, you know, we're not trying to be compete with the view over here at the Scott Adams Show. 
We're not trying to compete as an entertainment organization. We're not trying to be funny. This is not funny to me. This is serious business. And so the idea is is that, you know, there are a lot of opportunities to take back the House and the Senate in 2022. It's right there for us. Just ask Donald Trump. He'll tell you. And it's true. But we got to be smart. We got to be united. And we got to be thinking clearly. None of this quick fix stuff. I know the solution that will fix everything. And, uh, you know, everybody who was talking about President Trump was going to be pre- back in the Oval Office in August or whatever, it was an embarrassment. None of that came true. It was never going to be true. And you never heard me talking about it. But a lot of people were talking about it. And it's like, oh, it sounds great to me. How about a third term? How about all this magic potion? No, it's not going to be like that. You know, Washington's not changing overnight. The idea is is that what we are going to do is we're going to take back the House. The only wrinkle is we got to get ahead. We got to pressure the local uh, and and uh, statewide pol- pol- politicians, particularly in the battleground states that happen to be controlled by a Republican Congress. That could be Pennsylvania. That could be Wisconsin. That could be Michigan. That could be I don't know about Michigan, actually, but Wisconsin, Arizona, Georgia. We got to we got to force them to do better. We got to hold them accountable. So Trump, again, is right when he talks about and Pence, by the way, is wrong when he talks about primarying these people, these rhinos out of office that didn't didn't um, rescind the, the vote or didn't fight to rescind the vote to have it first investigated before these these uh, votes for the 2020 election got certified. And again, it wasn't sexy, but it was uh, definitely something that we could have done. And I was saying back in the day, and it's all on podcast, and I was saying it's not at the federal level. It's at the state level. These state politicians need to do the right thing. They can't certify something they can't guarantee is legit. And I thought that Giuliani and uh, Jenna Ellis and uh, President Trump and his team put together excellent cases before the Congresses of these states. And they went from state to state and they did it methodically. I thought they did everything they needed to do to justify a, a decertification or withholding of certification and Pence should have then honored those states. But Pence has made it clear that he's going to support every rhino that goes against a Trump candidate. The battle lines have been drawn, and he's a rhino just like, you know, by the way, I took offense to the person who was sort of defending uh, Mike Lindell, and I wasn't really bashing Lindell as much as I was bashing the others. But he called me something uh, to the effect that Liz Cheney, Cheney uh, endorser of sorts. And of course, that could be further from the truth. That was insulting. But in any case, nevertheless, I think the guy uh, approached it with good taste and, and in good spirit. Fighting for his country, as I am every single day. Um, in any case, I just want to say, though, 
that we got to stay on top of these policies because they're slipping these things in in these big bundles. You know, 6.5 million amnesty is slipped in to this uh, spending bill. And you got to hold, you know, right, call your congressman. But if we take back 2022 and we get ahead of the voting machine fraud and we do something in terms of uh, what they're up to with regard to these these pandemics, these uh, using them as weapons, whether it be for uh, to rig elections or whether it to be to control people. It's it's one of the it's 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 all of them. It's all of the above. They're using this for every single solution that they could possibly get at. And, you know, the ultimate goal for them is to basically control you by controlling your money. They're going to basically control the banks. They're going to utilize the banks as weapons and tools. They're going to utilize your ability to buy food. You know, with these social credit score systems, which are basically, in essence, what the vaccine passport is. You know, they're controlling where we can eat, whether we can travel, um, all kinds of things. And we got to put a stop to it. You know, I said this in a uh, Facebook post. I said, China has long treated its immense population as a GDP asset used as slave labor like a machine or production plant. The globalists have taken note and they want to follow just like China. The future of global totalitarianism is here. It's just unevenly distributed. The globalists have captured and weaponized the WHO, the National Public Health Organizations, legacy media, you know, trusted news initiative, and big tech against the general population. We are the product. We as people are the product. We got to lose that category we got to lose that title we are not a product we are people with just as much rights as these globalist leaders that control us we got to do something about this and what we do is we win these elections and we oust them and we we interrogate we investigate them uh we're going to get to that and uh some other things here just shortly um but the globalists have captured and weaponized these medical institutions and big tech. Incidentally, Twitter's new big tech guy. We're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about Chuck Grassley and what he's doing with regard to Hunter Biden and these investigations that have stalled in Congress. But we are the product. We are as cattle to be bred, grown, herded, culled, and used to drive return on investment. The globalists are amoral. They only care they only care about power and their return on investment. They see morality as an outdated concept and they move populations around as needed disguised as refugees or migrants and cause the chaos and turmoil like they did with Syria or Afghanistan or with the open border system and they try to create these crises in order to get these refugees or migrants. And they, they move these populations around as needed, 
disguised as refugees, migrants, and caused the chaos and turmoil to create the conditions required to fulfill their objectives, no matter the loss of life. They don't care about loss of life. It's why the mainstream media doesn't care about what happened in Waukesha, right, Wisconsin. They don't care about all the death and destruction. They don't care because it doesn't fit their narrative. You know, just like they're not going to talk about Cantor. I was right about Cantor. Two weeks ago, we were talking about that Boston Celtics guy. He just got his citizenship yesterday. And we're talking about Cantor and how important a message, the statement is that he's making. And that is because the NBA is bowing to China. And he's blasting China for mistreating the Uyghurs and the Taiwanese and one China policies and drawing questions in the air for all of this stuff. He was on to the kick of free Tibet. This guy is basically a Muslim, Turkish Muslim that was uh, rejected by his country, persecuted, and came to America and is living the American dream as a professional NBA player. And um, he's not getting a lot of love or support by morons like LeBron James and others because he doesn't fit the narrative. Again, this corporate media doesn't care about the loss of life or the chaos or the destruction or how many lives they destroy. Just look at the difference between the way uh, the Waukesha Brooks guy who killed all those people in Wisconsin with his car. Look at how he was treated. How this guy was out on bail is beyond me. This guy makes Charlie Manson look like a Boy Scout. And yet he's free to run people over and talk about racism and talk about black supremacy, for example. And you compare him to Rittenhouse or you compare him to the people that are rotting in jail right now from the January 6th event, something that Fauci still thinks, just along with General Milley, his cohort, because like I said at the end of the show yesterday, I believe that Fauci is protected by the Pentagon and our intelligence apparatus because I think he's involved with bioweapons and I think he's involved with classified and top secret weaponry. And he is the guy that's pulling all the strings to make the bureaucrat, bureaucratic mechanisms wheels turn. And when they turn... He gets the academic world that gets funded by the government and he gets the medical world that now, thanks to Obamacare, is funded by the government in a lot of different ways, rewarded by the government, if you will. And the medical industry, just like the journalistic industry, just like the tenure professor track, just like the Hollywood track, uh, there are blacklists, and it's radically left, and it's all part of a globalist agenda. It's why every nurse I had in the hospital was from another country. It's why, you know, all of my physical therapists and doctors, and they're all foreign. And I don't know why that is exactly, except for the fact that the hospitals are paying half the salary that they used to have to spend. It used to be that they would have a nurse that they would spend, you know, a certain salary on. Now they cut those salaries in half. 
And you take that across the board and the medical professionals are saving a bundle. Everything is specialized. Everything is contracted, subcontractors and outsourced. It, it's, a, it's a systemized approach to medicine that's on the cheap, on the down low. And these, these companies are benefiting hand over fist. And it's exactly what's going on in the pharmaceutical industries as well. It's how Fauci can actually control, you know, who gets rich and who doesn't. So Fauci pulls a lot of strings. But I believe that Fauci also, just like, you know, remember Einstein was instrumental in helping out with the atomic bomb, helping the Pentagon. At one point, that was a very classified operation. We, all, we learned that later that these scientists were involved in, in, in uh, developing a bomb. And a lot of these scientists didn't even really ethically or morally approve or agree with such a bomb. But they nevertheless served their country. And there's a few select people that were able to do it. And so it's not out of reach to think that Dr. Fauci is one of those types of people. He's got a unique situation where he can control the purse strings. He can manipulate people and organizations and foundations. He can control the academic grants. You know, and then Echo Health. Remember the supported gain of function? He can actually green light and turn on or turn off whether gain of function is going to be allowed unless the president knows about it because it was Obama that stopped it for a little while because there was the Spanish flu or whatever flu that was going around. And Obama said, let's hold on this gain of function thing. And sure enough, there's a video flying around from 2009 that features Fauci. And you got to see firsthand sort of what kind of um, power Dr. Fauci had in 2009. I believe this was around the time of the the Spanish flu, which I think gain of function went awry then. I think this gain of function, like Rand Paul has been saying, is highly dangerous. But let's go ahead and take a listen to what Dr. Fauci has to say in 2009 about vaccines. It sounds like he's wielding a lot of power and control even then. Only have to do that every couple of years and get the vaccine will be something that is essentially a routine vaccination for everyone. And if we then transition that into the universal vaccine, then you may only have to do that every couple of years and get people protected not only from seasonal flu, but from pandemic flu. In my mind, that's the end game. And that's good for the companies, too, because they're going to know and predict that every year the vast majority of the American population is going to get vaccinated, not having to guess will they or will they not. This Very complicated, a lot of moving parts. But if we look at what has been said in the past, if we look at how things have developed, clearly this is about some type of universal inoculation system that would allow the biosecurity state and power to literally control everybody from the inside out. So, you know, it's also it's like it's going to be good for the companies, too. Is that really Fauci's job? Robert Malone, a doctor that I like to uh, read, uh, read his stuff, said once again for emphasis, the future of global totalitarianism is here. It's just unevenly distributed. Oh, that that's uh, something that I I read. He also said this um, or no, there wasn't actually I'm reading the wrong thing here. Um 
uh, Benny Wright wrote this. This is uh, actually a response to the uh, mass murderer from last week. One week ago, an anti-white racist cop hating black supremacists slaughtered six, including grandmothers and children, and injured 50 in Wisconsin. The mass murderer's name is Daryl Brooks Jr. Corporate media will not say his name or cover the Democrats who released him. Why? And it's this corporate media that's really doing the damage here. And again, as I said, if we had a corporate media back in Watergate, Nixon would have probably never lost his job. He would have never had to resign. You know, it's just one of these things. Um, and I want to also play this. I want to play this. Uh, this is another great Ron DeSantis. And then what we're going to do is get to uh, something that Chuck Grassley put out yesterday about Hunter Biden. Again, they've been working on this, but it's been swept under the rug and the media won't cover it. Again, the media, we have to look at the media as an enemy of the people. You know, we can't, we can't look at them any, any different way than this. But here's Ron DeSantis. Corporate press are more apt to characterize a parent who protests bad policies at a school board meeting as a domestic terrorist than somebody who intentionally rams an SUV into a crowd of innocent people if it doesn't fit the narrative. So here we go. Let's listen to Ron DeSantis. Is that how it works? The SUVs, they just drive by themselves? This just kind of happened? And they say, oh, this was a big accident. Uh, you never actually hear the discussion about who committed this. Uh, what was the motivation uh, this guy was a career criminal, let out on, didn't really have any bail, basically, should not have even been on the street, uh, had clear anti-white animus, uh, and this was an intentional act. And it seems like, you know, for corporate press, they're more apt to, to characterize a parent who goes to a school board meeting to protest bad policies as a domestic terrorist than somebody who intentionally rams an SUV into a crowd of innocent people. So you have at least six have died. You have many more that have been injured. I know many people are in the hospital. And so uh, let's just be clear. This was not a car just driving in. This was an attack by a felon who did that, who should not have been on the street. And we'll see what the actual motivation was. Uh, it very well may have been in response to what happened with Kyle Rittenhouse. And you have to wonder if that's the case. Almost surely, this guy's view of Rittenhouse was, was colored by all these media lies. He brought, a, he brought a, a rifle across state lines. That's a lie. They said that the initial altercation with Jacob Blake, that Blake was unarmed. That's a lie. They covered up Blake's criminal history. Uh, and then they said that Rittenhouse shot. And first of all, when you're, when you're self-defense, it doesn't matter, you know, kind of what race. Or, but they would say that he shot. Most people didn't know that he shot three white people. People thought. So that's what the media has been doing. And they tend to point uh, a, a target on law enforcement's back. Uh, but this is just wrong, and these lies have got to stop. And if it doesn't fit your narrative, sweeping the facts under the rug is not doing the service uh, that, that people uh, deserve. It is what we expect, unfortunately, from a lot of these places, uh, but it's wrong. And I think the way they've treated law enforcement across the board over the last two years has been an absolute disgrace. So let's just be clear. They are not wanting to cover this Wisconsin thing for what it is. They are not wanting the facts uh, to come out the way they are because the facts do not support 
their narrative, and it's all about pursuing partisan narratives. Does that- so media bias is a big thing, but, you know, big tech isn't getting any better. Um, you know, Twitter just came out with a new CEO, CEO and it's, it's very discouraging because this guy named Parag Agrawai, I don't know, I don't know how you pronounce his name, but, uh, you know, some radical libtard from some weird country is now running, you know, half of big, half of all the big tech information in America. It's, it's absolutely absurd that this radical left wing nut job is in charge of an organization like Twitter. Shame on people on the board of those folks out in tw- uh, Twitter land. Uh, by the way, Pat Kinnean, who has a show on uh, uh, our network, um, basically said uh, it's the H1N1 flu from 2009, not the Spanish flu. Yeah, of course. Uh, actually, I think that they were given it a couple of different names, but um, in any case, H1N1. But nevertheless, Fauci was pushing the vaccine back then. You wonder if that was just sort of like utopia pie in the sky, they never, they weren't able to pull it off. But with the help of China, maybe they were. With the, you know, and they, there was definitely a consortium with China. I don't think they were wanting to do gain of function here in the United States. Um, and so they did the gain of function in China. And China agreed to it, but we were going to finance most of it. And that's where the money was going to China. You say, why does China even need the money? Well, that's a great question. Why, 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 why would we pay China for this? And of course, we know the answer. The answer is because we were partnered with China. And we're partnered with China in so many ways. Every trade deal involves China. It's all about access to slave labor markets. I've been saying this over and over again. And these people that advocate for humanitarian rights and, and minimum wage and all this, that, and the other, could give two cents about Taiwan or Hong Kong or the Uyghurs who are treated as slaves in China. And this is what Cantor is talking about. This is why it comes full circle. And Cantor, the basketball player, you know, from the Boston Celtics, who's been talking about the Uyghurs and their plight. They've all been put into concentration camps and forced into slave labor. And, you know, they're basically a Muslim community uh, within the Chinese, you know, government. And they are, you know, being treated poorly, to say the least. That's an understatement. But so he's speaking up against China and he's being silenced pretty much by the NBA. Um, But there are some certain news outlets that are willing to talk about it. But I believe that, uh, yeah, we didn't have to pay China. They have, they have the money to do this. They could have done it on their own. But Dr. Fauci wanted a piece of this action. He wanted in on it. And I believe it was the Pentagon and our intelligence apparatus that wanted in on it too. And I also think that it was also the liberal agenda. How much were they preparing and planning this up front? Well, Dr. Fauci assured that these medical institutions were going to profit from this, just like he said in 2009. This is good for the corporations, too. 
So the corporations bought in on it. And those corporations that bought in on it got access to slave labor. They got access to uh, new markets, high profits. And uh, the pharmaceutical companies are making out like a bandit. They just, uh, CDC just green-lighted new boosters, new booster shots. And these booster shots are just Moderna and Pfizer. You better believe that there's some action going on there. Because I remember when Johnson & Johnson and AstraZeneca, AstraZeneca was squashed early. And then there was Johnson & Johnson, and Johnson & Johnson was also squashed. And and there was a lot of, um, you know, I think guerrilla warfare tactics going on with respect to guerrilla marketing. You know, it's sort of like what happened to Tylenol. You know, somebody laced a bottle of Tylenol, I guess it was out northwest, Oregon or somewhere, Washington State. And next thing you know, Tylenol had a long time to recover from that. Uh, because then all of a sudden ibuprofen came on the market and the new products were coming on the market to fill the void because people were afraid to take a laced bottle of Tylenol. And I think a lot of us remember that it was of a certain age, but you know, who's to say that wasn't some Tylenol's competitor doing that. And and the same thing is true with, um, you know, whoever was going after Johnson and Johnson or AstraZeneca, you know, who knows? But this uh, new uh, new Twitter uh, CEO, Parag Agrawal, says this. He said this in 2010. If they are not going to make a distinction between Muslims and extremists, then why should I distinguish between white people and racists? So this is a guy that basically is of some color, hates with a passion, hates uh, white people. You know, he, he's perfectly left-wing. Uh, he's a left-wing racist. You know, let's not forget that this is the pedigree of the Democrats. They don't know it. They'll never admit it. They always try to say there was some sort of a flip back in the 70s. I don't know what happened, but there's a flip. Well, no. If you look it up at Wikipedia or anywhere, Jim Crow laws were written by state and local Democrat officials as guidelines. They were turned into laws, much like the guidelines we see in effect with regard to COVID. <clears throat> so this is a, not a new feature, but where you can write guidelines that are unconstitutional, <clears throat> you can't enforce them. So you can't enforce these guidelines, and that's a problem because they're unconstitutional. So what you do is you write up the guidelines, you encourage, wink, wink, quotes, you incentivize carrots and sticks, corporations to follow the guidelines, and you end up, whether it's supporting Jim Crow laws or whatever cockamamie scheme the Democrats are thinking up, depending on the decade that we're in. Uh, And they get the corporations to do the dirty work, whether it's the hotels and the restaurants in the South adhering to the Green Book or, you know, segregation on steroids or, you know. And then, you know, it got ugly. And you had the governor of Alabama, George Wallace, 
a Democrat, basically standing in the doorway, not wanting integration. Well, not wanting those little black children to go to a white school. And so, you know, the Kennedys got involved and it was a sticky situation. You know, we all know the story. But the thing is, is that the South became red when conservatives and Republicans, you know, there's a placard on 8th and Locust Street in Philadelphia outside of what's called the Music Fund Hall. And it said in 1854, the Republican Party was established uh, to abolish slavery. And in 1856, they got their first candidate who lost to, uh, I guess his name was Fremont, lost to uh, Buchanan, who was a Democrat in 1856. And in 1860, the Republican, new Republican Party got Lincoln. And, of course, he became president and wrote the Emancipation Proclamation. And so all I'm saying is is that since day one, the Republican Party and the conservative movement has been all about freedom and equality. And it's been the Democrats that were the founding fathers of the Ku Klux Klan. In fact, the last senator, the last person in Congress to walk the halls of Congress was Robert Byrd from West Virginia, who was a grand wizard in the Ku Klux Klan. And so, you know, segregation is not a big deal. That's why they like the vaccine passports so much. It's all these little clubs. Interestingly enough, you know, we got this Ghislaine, Ghislaine Maxwell case where, you know, James Comey's daughter, Maureen Comey, is the one of the lead prosecutors. And the judge happens to be part of like a skull and bones for women. Uh, And I always make this, uh, I always have said this. People that are involved in these secret societies, whether it's the Masons or whether it's the skull and bones or all these different fraternities and all these different things. And I know there's a lot of Republicans that have attended and joined these clubs. But I always thought, I've never been big on these kind of clubs in my whole life, even back in my college days. Never needed to be part of a group. You know, I loved my wrestling teams that I wrestled on and and things like that. And we were all brothers and we worked out together and we competed together. I don't look at that as the same thing as a societal club. Uh, I look at that as a sport. But there are lots of different clubs But I've always noticed, whether it's the Bushes, you know, being connected with Skull and Bones, or the Clintons, you know, being part of a member of different organizations, it seems like the Ivy League really values these types of secret societies and gives preferential and favorable treatment. And um, the judge in the Ghislaine Maxwell is a Obama judge, crazy, crazy left-wing loon, uh, is is presiding over this case, the Ghislaine Maxwell case. They're not, um, it's a federal case, but they're not even providing audio. Now, they're not allowed to have video cameras in a federal court, but still, they, they could do audio, and they, they choose not to do that. It seems to be rigged from the start, because... 
Maureen Comey oversaw and had a report that, you know, all of a sudden these cameras that were supposed to be working in this top top uh, security jailhouse in New York City, all of a sudden these cameras, none of the cameras were working when Jeffrey Epstein supposedly killed himself. You know, so it's it's absolutely crazy that, you know, of all the people we could pick, it's got to be James Comey's daughter and Obama's judge. You know, it doesn't make any sense. It's it's absolutely absurd. But meanwhile, you got the big tech guy, Parag Agrawal, and he thanks um, Jack Dorsey uh, for stepping down and entrusting him to lead the way. But this guy is an absolute monster, Parag Agrawal. You know, but he's now the new CEO of Twitter. And you wonder why it is that Twitter just keeps doubling down on hate and censorship. Let's read about the uh, judge in the Ghislaine Maxwell case. Judge Allison Nathan is presiding over the Ghislaine Maxwell trial. She is a member of the Skull and Bones Sister Secret Society, Quill and Dagger. Okay, there it is. Quill and Dagger, that's the name of that one. She was John Kerry's associate national counsel in 2004. She was a special assistant and White House counsel to Barack Obama from 2008 to 2010 and appointed to the federal bench by Obama. She was appointed to the appeals court this year by Joe Biden. So she got a big promotion. I don't know. She looks like a man to me, but she's a woman, apparently. And uh, who knows what's going on there? Something weird. But um, in any case, there's that. And then there's the Maureen Comey. We knew about Maureen Comey being involved in this. Like, what are the odds, right? We knew about that a couple of years ago, even. She was going to be always involved in this case. Now, there, I had a long clip. I'm not going to be able to get to that today. Um, but it's actually a pretty entertaining clip. If you want to check out my social media, check out Senator Grassley. He was on the floor of the Senate yesterday. And he really gave, um, gave a great account of his investigation on Hunter Biden. So Senator Grassley asked Congress to expose the extensive ties between China, Biden family. Senator Chuck Grassley asked congressional Democrats to investigate the ties between the Chinese communist regime and the Biden family. All right. So there's a lot going on there, actually, uh, with respect to that. And um, so Chuck Grassley, uh, there's a whole rumble account, but I watched part of it. Uh, he wrote this tweet. He said, he said, new doc I released recently is latest evidence of deep biz ties, business ties. He, he always writes in cryptic code on Twitter. He's not Twitter savvy just yet. But um, he says there's evidence of deep business ties between Hunter Biden and Chinese businessman linked to communist regime. Plus, further supports findings in my report with Senator Johnson from last year when it, when it was media was going to wake up. When was the media going to wake up to these uh, well-documented entanglements? And there's a really great clip uh, that I would like to play. I uh, don't know if I can. Uh, I'm going to have to cue this up for tomorrow, I guess. But there's a great clip where it basically is talking about Chuck Grassley 
you know, basically, uh, there's no no uh, there there. It's all it's all a ruse. It's all smoke and mirrors. It's all it's not not real stuff. And um, and that uh, we shouldn't pay attention to it. But when you compare the Russian hoax, where there was no proof, no tangent, nothing to, to go against Trump. And then you compare it to you compare it to uh, what the, the dirt they, the dirt they have on Hunter Biden. There's no comparison. And I always ask this question: Remember when Joe uh, Hunter Biden was on interviewed with like CBS? It was his first major interview. He cleaned himself up, took the crack pipe out of his mouth, you know, and he's sitting there, and they're like, "So you don't know whether that's your laptop?" And they're like, "I don't know." I don't know. That could be my laptop. I, I don't know. But they never asked the question like, all right, well, there's a lot of pictures of you floating around with Malik Obama, you know, Obama's daughter. Did you ever take a picture naked with uh, Obama's daughter? Because it's, there's a picture on there. He can't say, I don't know. He's got to say no or yes. But they never bothered to ask that question. Were you ever, is that, did, did, could you have been taking a photo, could a photograph have been taken of you with a crack pipe in your mouth while you're passed out on crack? Yeah, could have, could have been. But they never even asked those questions, you know, or like these photos. Is that you in this photo? You can't say whether it was you or it wasn't you. I don't know whether that's me or not. You know whether you took the doggone photo or not. But they never bothered to ask, not once. And to this day, to this day, what bothers me the most, to this day, he's never testified under oath, despite all the promises. And yeah, sure, I'll go under oath. You know, um, Don Jr. Don Jr. did for hours. But they never even bothered. Not one time has Hunter Biden ever testified under oath. And that was what was so in- interesting about the custody battle of his love child that he had. Uh, there was going to be some disclosure. Well, no, they managed to avoid that. You know, it's like we have two standards of justice, one for Hillary Clinton and the Bidens and the Democrats in general. Like Jesse Smollett, for example, is in court these days. And again, for what reason? I mean, the guy's as guilty as can be. You know, we'll keep our eye on that, and we'll probably talk about that tomorrow as well. But it's just a, it's unbelievable times we're living in. We got to fight back. We got to treat the these people like the enemy. Well, you're listening to the Scott Adams Show. We'll see you next time on the radio. Just Goodbye, to bury my kids right up to there.